Welcome, and thank you for joining us at the Fantasy Canon Podcast, where we will discuss and examine the authors, books, and series that are most highly valued by generations of readers, or that make the most important contributions to the genre of fantasy literature. I'm your host, David Charlton. And I'm your co-host, Chris Whedon. And right now, you're saying to yourself, what, another podcast about fantasy fiction? And you'd be right to say that. There are some very good ones out there, like Sword and Laser, Cooch Street, the Prancing Pony podcast, the Legendarium, and Inking Out Loud, just to name a few. These are excellent shows, and I highly recommend them all. But what I've noticed about these shows and others is that they spend a lot of time looking at books that were published fairly recently and tend to discuss the state of the genre in the 21st century. Well, except for the Prancing Pony podcast, which is dedicated solely to Tolkien, but I consider it the gold standard for what a fantasy podcast should be, so I had to mention it. You get a lot about great emerging authors like Brian McClellan or Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, but relatively few podcasts about the books and authors that set the stage for the publishing explosion we are experiencing today. Those writing today are standing on the shoulders of giants. And what we'd like to do is look over those shoulders and talk about what makes them so great or important or at least memorable. Over the course of this podcast, we will attempt to assemble a canon of work that if you are a fan of the genre, we feel like you will want to be familiar with, or at least conversant with. So when someone in your favorite Facebook group or subreddit recommends a book by Guy Gavriel K, you don't have to scratch your head and say, who? This is by no means on the level of a postgraduate course in literature. Neither of us is a teacher but we are lifelong readers and fans of fantasy literature. We think we have something to say and something to share, and we hope we can do it in an interesting and a fun way. We are just two guys who have been reading widely in the genre since the 70s. We didn't have a lot of completed series to dive into at first, not back then. I still remember haunting the local B. Dalton's or Walden books for the conclusion to the original Dragonlance trilogy or for the latest David Eddings in paperback. There was no internet hype machine to tell us when new books would be released, but when they appeared on the shelves, it was like a visit from Santa Claus. This is the perspective that we bring to the conversation. Let's start by explaining what we mean by fantasy canon. We started by thinking about it in terms of the so-called Western canon, a body of literature, art, music, etc., that has come to be regarded as the pinnacle of culture in the Western world. Works by Shakespeare, Mozart, Van Gogh, that sort of thing. This idea was most articulately expressed by the literary critic Harold Bloom, and most famously in his 1994 book, The Western Canon, in which he singles out 26 writers that he thought best expressed and evolved language and literature. Writers like Chaucer, Milton, Goethe, Austin, Dickens, Tolstoy, Proust, and Kafka. Sounds like the most interesting dinner party ever. <laughs> well, there are serious and valid criticisms of this approach, which excludes or minimizes whole schools of thought while promoting some that are problematical, but that's mostly outside the scope of our premise. Instead, let's take as our mantra this quote by the novelist and poet A.S. Byatt. She says, Canon consists of those writers all other writers have to know and by whom they measure themselves. A culture's canon is an evolving consensus of individual canons. Canonical writers changed the medium, the language they were working in. People who merely describe what is happening now don't last. Mine includes writers I don't necessarily like. Uh, D.H. Lawrence, though I hate him in a way, Jane Austen too. In other words, if you want to truly appreciate the genre, you have to reckon with the giants, 
Tolkien, Le Guin, Moorcock, Hobb, MacKillop, Gaiman, and so many more. There is also a very subjective aspect to this. The fantasy canon that we'll discuss and compile will attempt to be comprehensive and inclusive, but it will never be more than our view of it. Some of what to include may be obvious, but there may also be some controversial choices. What's canon to us may not be canon to you. Heck, what's canon to me may not even be canon to David. Right. Tastes will differ, but ultimately quality will out. What Chris and I will try to do is present a body of work that we value for one reason or another, explain why we like it, or at least why we think it's important or influential, and our listeners can make up their minds and make up their own canon. I think I can safely say that there will be a lot of crossover, though. For instance, few will dispute Tolkien's place in the canon, but what about those who first followed in his footsteps, like Terry Brooks or Stephen R. Donaldson? Or Brandon Sanderson, the fantasy writer whose publishing project for Kickstarter is the most successful in the history of crowdfunding, topping $40 million. No, this is a Sanderson-free zone. What do you got against Brandon Sanderson? He knows what he did. What? Become one of the best-selling writers in multiple genres of the 21st century and a great ambassador for fantasy literature? Okay, maybe I'll explain in a future episode. Tune into the fantasy canon to find out why. The point of this is for us to introduce ourselves and how we got to where it is that we're going to. Uh, my name is Chris, and I have been into fantasy literature since the third grade. Um, I have my third grade teacher, Mrs. Walsh, to thank for that because she dutifully read one chapter of The Hobbit to her third grade class until it was done. And I loved it so much that I went to the school library to find the book so that I could read it myself because one chapter a day was just not enough. I found it, brought it home, and just tore through it. So my mom at the time decided she'd seen what I was reading and uh, she suggested that there were more books. And I said, oh, that's great. Do you have them? And she said, yeah, they're, they're on the bookshelf over there. And it was the Lord of the Rings. It was, it was my lifelong passion being introduced to me right then and there. And I could wax poetic about my love for Tolkien, but he was the one that started it for me. So once all the books were done, all the appendices were read, and I was just dying for something else, I've been a huge library person my whole life. And thankfully, the librarians at the places I haunted were very nice to me and pointed me in so many different directions. Um, and everything that I read would introduce me to a different story and a different hero and a different villain. And while I was continually searching for the depth I had originally seen in Tolkien, I still found things to like about other people. And I started to see uh, the conventions that they were using and the way that they were telling their stories. And I knew what I liked and they say, you can't judge a book by its cover, but I got to tell you, fantasy's got it down pretty easy. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, it's been a lifelong passion of mine. I, I will choose that over anything, anytime. So I know Dave likes to read. He's He's been reading for a couple, three years at least. Yeah. So uh, we should say that we are cousins. Chris and I have known each other all our lives. And um, one of the, uh, so I, I came to the genre in a very similar way. Um, I discovered The Hobbit 
in a uh, a bookstore when I was eight years, seven years old. And um, so that would have been 1978. It was right around the time the Rankin-Bass cartoon, the animated uh, movie came out. And uh, the copy of the book that I had had a, a picture of the uh, Thorin and company with Bilbo and Gandalf in the front, uh, walking up the side of the Misty Mountains with uh, a picture of Smaug, the dragon, uh, flying overhead. Uh, that was something that was pretty evocative to a, a seven-year-old's brain. So I started uh, very similar to how Chris started. So from there, um, I discovered a lot of great fantasy works in paperback, but one of the, the more influential introductions that I got to the genre was actually when Dungeons and Dragons came out. And Chris, again, being my cousin, being uh, a year older than me, uh, was my first dungeon master. So he, uh, that was uh, another rung in the ladder that I'd been climbing uh, towards immersing myself in uh, fantasy literature. And um, I also remember that uh, Chris was also responsible for getting me even deeper into my love of Tolkien, because I could remember uh, he always would carry around this battered, beaten up copy of the Silmarillion, um, a paperback copy with the Daryl K. Sweet cover of uh, the Fall of Numenor, of the, um, uh, I think it was a gold gold border with the uh, cities of Numenor falling into the water. Um, Chris, do you remember that? I do remember the cover, although I thought it was the Fall of Gondolin instead of Numenor, but you may be right. Oh, no, I am. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Gondolin was not near water. Oh, that's true. It was surrounded <laughs> by mountains. Right. So, yeah. Um, so we'll have to uh, do a refresher on the Silmarillion when we get to it, if I see for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so uh, the uh, my love of reading fantasy literature proceeded apace from there. Um, I, I went from there to reading a lot of the, the, um, the classics, the Terry Brooks, the Stephen Donaldson, the Guy Gabriel Kay. When the um, the fiction line for Dungeons and Dragons started coming out, we started. I started reading a lot of that. I think Chris probably read a lot of that as well. There's not anything I didn't read by TSR for like the first eight years they put books out. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you know, I read pretty steadily through uh, through high school. Um, and uh, the only time I think I really took a, a, a break from genre reading is when I went to college and uh, read mostly for, you know, whatever Greek. classes and studies. Yeah. For what I did there. Um, but, uh, you know, after school, I, you know, got a job and uh, got once I got settled down a little bit more, I rediscovered what I really enjoyed about the genre and I've never looked back. Um, I think I could say I've been reading pretty consistently um, in in the genre. Even when I was at school, I never really put it aside. I always had something recreationally that I was reading. Um, so that was, uh, I, we, I think I, one of these days I'll post pictures of my library um, and kind of give you a, an appreciation for how fanatically I've collected books um over the years uh, especially of the fantasy genre but not just not just fantasy um i also read science fiction mysteries thriller non-fiction quite a bit of non-fiction um i'm a history nerd as well 
uh, love um, to read uh, uh, books about science, books by Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, Brian Cox, that, um, that, that sort of thing. Chris, aside from fantasy books, what other kind of books do you like to read? Um, I dabble in sci-fi. Um, I, you know, I'm a history nerd too, so I don't read nearly as much as I used to. Um, my brain is kind of full, but, um, I don't, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't, I don't go out of my way to do anything more than fantasy nowadays. The, uh, the place that calls itself a library in the town I live in, um, has a very poor system of identifying authors of the fantasy genre. So I have to, <laughs> I have to suss them out for myself. So um, I have recently come across uh, Jacqueline Carey, who I just absolutely adore. She is awesome. Um, and before that I was reading uh, Mary Zucker Reichert, I think. Mickey. Yeah. Mickey. That's what it is. Uh, Mickey. Yeah. And it was a story about a uh, an assassin, I believe it was, who um, the Renshe books, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, and they were OK. Um, but again, I would much rather read mediocre fantasy than read just about anything else. Mysteries don't really do it for me because I'm not smart enough to figure them out before the end. And it makes me mad. Um, <laughs> I discovered <laughs> Agatha Christie relatively late in life. Um, but I can, on, I could tell you from, uh, the perspective of favorite writers, uh, she, for me, she's right up there with Tolkien. Really? Oh yeah. We can, that, that's a whole other podcast, but we, we could have a conversation about that offline later. <laughs> so we probably should mention also that we are recording this remotely. Um, though we are both from the great state of Connecticut. Uh, I live in Florida. Chris lives in Alabama. So um, this is us uh, recording remotely uh, and this is a great opportunity for us to sort of catch up and stay in each other's lives a little bit. So that's also something nice for this. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to it. So we should also um, say that we, in regards to this podcast, uh, we intend to approach this project from a variety of ways. Some episodes that we're going to do are going to be about seminal books like The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. Some episodes will be an overview of a series, for instance, the Dear Any books of Catherine Kurtz. Now, when we do those types of episodes, this would not be in place of a deep dive into the individual volumes of the series. For instance, uh, we could and probably will still do an episode on Camber of Goldie, a standout novel in Catherine Kurtz's series about the Dereny. Some episodes we might devote to a look at the life and times of an, and influences of a writer like Robert E. Howard. Other episodes might be more thematic in nature and cover the best and worst tropes of the fantasy canon, or a survey of the all-time greatest artists from Frank Frazetta to Michael Whalen and beyond. We also plan to have guests from time to time and hopefully interviews with creators and producers of genre content authors, artists, industry insiders, and maybe even other bloggers and podcasters. Except for Brandon Sanderson. What is it with you and Brandon Sanderson? <laughs> All will be revealed eventually. We might do a reaction episode to the upcoming Amazon show, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, or explore a tangent like the influence of comic books and pulp publishing on the fantasy canon. We probably will develop a rating system uh, or even come up with polls or surveys 
most heroic characters, vilest villains, best endings, that sort of thing. Uh, or maybe Chris and I will try to stump each other with trivia from our favorite books. We might even do some giveaways. Like I said, I have this overflowing library that my wife keeps telling me I need to control and keep into one room, even though it's overflowed into two other rooms at the moment. All the while, we will do our best to stay focused on our mission of compiling a corpus of material to present to you as the fantasy canon. And we will do this while maintaining a blog where listeners can comment and join the discussion. Tell us when we're way off. Let us know when we've missed something. Correct the hopefully occasional and inevitably egregious errors or oversights we will make. We want to hear from you. We might even bring the discussion to the podcast. We'll also use the blog to keep track of the titles and authors we enshrine in the canon for listeners and readers to use as a reference and read for reading recommendations as well. Maybe we'll also include honorable mentions or maybe even some hidden gems. So join us next time on the fantasy canon podcast, where we will take a high overview of the genre as a whole, starting with Tolkien, looking back to Robert E. Howard, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., then forward to writers like JK Rowling, Neil Gaiman and NK Jemison. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit us at thefantasycanon.com to let us know what you think about this and future episodes. The Fantasy Canon, a Brandon Sanderson-free zone since 2022.